Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. So James, uh, it's been a while. Nice to see you or nice to, to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time to join the podcast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's great to talk to you, man. So I'm talking to Mr. James Clear, who I've known for a while now, and his new book is called Atomic Habits, and we're going to talk about habits and how they can change your life. So uh, first of all, let's for those who may not know you, let's talk a little about your background. How did you get into the uh, into this realm of being a habit master? Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess I came at it sort of in two ways. Uh, so the first way was as like a practitioner or as a... Um, as an athlete. So I, uh, I played baseball for a long time. Um, and as any athlete can tell you, there are all sorts of habits that you're building when you're on the field or at practice or in the gym and so on. And I didn't really have a language for it at the time, but that was the first place that I was kind of exposed to this idea of ritual and routine and small improvements each day and trying to show up and get a little bit better. Um, so I had that as a background. And then the second way that I came into it was academically uh, and eventually as an entrepreneur. So I academically, I've always been interested in the sciences. Uh, My undergraduate degree was in biomechanics, which is mostly like chemistry and physics and biology and stuff like that, hard sciences. Um, And then I got done and I went to business school and I was watching all these uh, entrepreneurs start their own companies. I was part of my graduate assistantship was to analyze venture capital investment in the region. And as I was doing that, I kind of got the itch to start something myself. And so I did. Uh, I launched my company after I graduated. And uh, I realized pretty quickly that I didn't know what I was doing. I like didn't know how to get someone to sign up for something. I, I would launch a product and it wouldn't go anywhere. And that got me interested in consumer psychology. Like why does someone sign up to an email list or buy a product? <laughs> and as I learned more about that, uh, I gradually started to slide more toward the behavioral psychology part of the spectrum. And then suddenly I had a language for describing all those things that had worked for me in the past. Now I could describe my athletic career and some of the things I had learned there with the science of habit formation and behavior change and so on. And I started writing about those things at jamesclear.com. And uh, my first article went up November 12th, 2012. And then I wrote a new article every Monday and Thursday for the next three years. And that was sort of the period where I developed um, my interest and knowledge on the topic. And then the last three years, I have spent writing Atomic Habits. And that's sort of the culmination of these last five or six years of, of that work and writing and research. Awesome. Okay. And so now, and here we are. So what what is... If for one of the things that I sort of not struggle with, but like I feel comes up a lot in these conversations is what do you see sort of as the difference between routine and habit? Yeah, that's a good question. So first of all, let's just talk about it. Like semantically, we use the word habit um, to mean things that aren't exactly a habit. So the technical right. definition of a habit is a routine or practice that is performed regularly, usually enough to be more or less automatic. You can do it pretty much without thinking. So, you know, you brush your teeth or floss your teeth each day. You tie your shoes without thinking about it. You unplug the toaster after each use. You 
some of them are like personality characteristics, you know, like maybe you cover your mouth every time you laugh or something like that. And we don't, those things are actual habits. They're happening more or less on autopilot. But we use the phrase, I want to build a habit out of that for all kinds of stuff. Like you might say, I want to get into the habit of going to the gym or writing each day or something like that. And I know what you mean when you say that. Um, but writing, almost by definition, writing is about as effortful and concentrative and um, focused as you could be. It's, so you're certainly not going to sit down and just like mindlessly write and not even think about it, be on autopilot for an hour. So um, that I would determine or would define more as a routine or a practice. And so we kind of have this maybe division or separation between habits, which are more or less automatic and routines, which are repeated or practice even, which is repeated, but still there's like effortful concentration going on. You're paying attention. You're thinking carefully about it. And the good news is I think that the two can play really nicely with each other. Uh, This is kind of the origin of, the two minute rule, which I talk about more in the book, but this idea of take whatever habit you're trying to build, scale it down to just the first two minutes, and then master that, automate the beginning of the routine, automate the beginning of the ritual. And if you can make that more or less automatic, then you can kind of slide in uh, to that effortful routine. You turn around and you're like, um, you're working on the hard thing, but you don't really need to know how you got there. It's kind of like the entrance ramp to a highway. So if you want to read 30 books a year, you scale it down to just the first two minutes and becomes like read one page or put your book on your pillow after you make your bed in the morning or something like that. And pretty soon you're putting your book on your pillow without thinking about it, but that's kind of priming the environment for you to climb in bed at night and pull the book out and do the effortful task of reading. Yeah. And I think that's a really great way of, of putting it. And you mentioned something there, which I find particularly important for me, which is environment. So how do you see environment playing into, into habit and also really productivity in general? Yeah, it's, uh, it does play a huge role. So I think, first of all, we can, I like to divide the environment into two categories. So first, we have the physical environment. So the things on your kitchen counter at home or your desk at work or the gym that you're at. And then we have the social environment. So the people that you work with or your fam- family or friends, people you, um, you live around and so on. And I'll focus mostly on the physical environment first. If you want to talk more about social, we can. Um, But physical environment dictates our habits in a lot of ways. I mean, first, it just dictates what we're exposed to. And many of our behaviors are a result of what we see, what's available to us. So, you know, a lot of the habits that we try to build, for whatever reason, we do it in what I would call like a very high friction environment. You know, like you're you're trying to spend less money on Amazon, but then you're browsing Amazon all the time. It's like, well, you know, then you have to rely on temptation and willpower, um, uh, rely on willpower to overcome the temptation. Or people try to go on a diet, but they still follow a bunch of food bloggers on Instagram. You know, you're constantly being like exposed to the cues that are prompting you to that. So physical environment is also true for the digital environment. It's not just like physical objects, but also what you're exposed to visually on a screen. So if you want to spend less money, then don't follow tech review blogs or unboxing videos on YouTube. Um, if you want to, uh, you know, stick to your diet, don't follow food bloggers on Instagram. If you want to, uh, the you know, super common one is if you want, don't want to eat as many sweets, don't have them in the house. But it's that, that same kind of idea of reducing exposure to the cues that prompt your bad habits. And I think a good example of this is if you take television, I mean, a lot of people feel like they watch way too much Netflix or spend too much time looking at the screen. But if you walk into pretty much any living room, where do all the couches and chairs face? 
they all face the TV. So it's the most obvious uh, visual thing to do in that room. The, the whole room is designed for that habit. And this is true in many different ways. Uh, you know, the habits that we enter shape our behavior. And so if you can restructure that, in the case of television, you could take a chair and turn it away from the TV, or you could uh, put the remote inside a drawer or put the television inside a wall unit or a cabinet so you're less likely to see it. If you want to be really extreme, you could take the TV off the wall and put it in the closet and only set it up when you really want to watch something. But the point here is that environment design, good environment design, is about reducing the number of steps and reducing the friction between you and the good choice, making it more obvious, more available, more visible, and increasing the number of steps, increasing the amount of friction between you and the bad habits, making it invisible, making it difficult, making it less likely that you'll see it. And uh, if you can do that, then you often find that your behavior follows suit without having to find this great boost of willpower. So, so to me, I mean, and, and that, that method works really well for me. And I think that work for a lot of people as well. But so I, I'm sure, you know, Manish Sethi, right? Mm-hmm. So something like the Pavlock, which I know works really well for certain people, that's a very different approach to this problem. Right. And, and, like to me, that kind of stimulus, and for those who don't know what I'm talking about, the Pavlock is basically a device that will shock you. It's a self-administered shock, and a lot of people use it to stop smoking and other other bad habits or or or, uh, or like. But while I know that that has worked for some people, it always felt in some ways like incongruent with how you should be forming habits. So, like, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. So in the book, I discuss kind of four major ways to change habits. And the one that we just talked through, environment design, that's kind of the first stage that a habit goes through. It's trying to either reduce or uh, increase exposure to the cue that would prompt the behavior. And so that's kind of like how the habit gets started. Um, The Pavlock strategy is at the end of those four stages, which is what comes after the behavior. So like one example of how you could use Pavlock is you could set it up so that you're, you know, you're wearing this little wristband and whenever you log onto Facebook, you automatically get shocked. So it's kind of like a dog running past the invisible fence or something. And pretty soon, whenever that happens, the dog learns very quickly where the line is and where to not cross. And similarly, your brain will also learn, oh, I shouldn't type facebook.com into the browser because every time I do that, I get shocked. And So rather than changing the queue, like you could still have the Facebook app on your phone, for example. So the environment hasn't necessarily changed in that way. It changes the reward, or in this case, it inserts a consequence. And uh, because it inserts a consequence, it changes that feedback loop. And this is sort of like the other side of the coin from how I recommend building good habits. So for example, if you want to build a good habit, you really want to make the ending satisfying. You want the, the finish of the behavior to feel enjoyable, successful, pleasurable, because whenever it does, it's kind of like this positive emotional signal to your brain that says, hey, that felt good. Like you should do this again next time. And what you'll see is that habits that form readily, including many habits that we would often define as like bad habits, so to speak, they often have a satisfying ending, you know, like, and I'm talking about the immediate outcome of the behavior. Like the, the immediate outcome of eating a donut is enjoyable. It's sugary, it's tasty, yeah. it's sweet. Um, and because you have that positive, satisfying ending, your brain says, Hey, this felt good. I should do it again. Next time I see a donut and social media often operate operates in the same way. You go to Instagram and you swipe down and you scroll 
and you know, either you're getting likes coming in or you're seeing a little uh, bit of information or a picture that you like or enjoy. So it's a little bit immediately satisfying. And that immediate satisfaction gets you to next time you feel bored for half a second, you think, oh, I should check Instagram again. And Pavlock inverts that. Instead of making it immediately satisfying, it makes it immediately uh, punishable, immediately unsatisfying. And um, it's really about the speed of the reward or consequence that gets your brain to learn that. Because if you, if you think about it, pretty much every behavior produces multiple outcomes across time. Like that donut example I just gave, the immediate outcome is favorable, but sugary and sweet and enjoyable. But the ultimate outcome, if you continue to eat a donut for a week or a month or a year, is unfavorable. And with good habits, it's often the reverse. The immediate outcome of like going to the gym is it's effortful, it takes energy, you sweat. Um, but the ultimate outcome in a week or a month or a year is favorable. It's enjoyable and you, uh, you, you know, look better in the mirror and so on. And uh, Pavlock allows you to take some of those things that maybe were giving you immediate enjoyment, like checking Facebook or smoking a cigarette, which maybe would calm your nerves or give you a hit of nicotine in the moment. And it suddenly layers on an immediate consequence to kind of balance that out. And uh, the pain will kind of rewire that feedback loop and teach you to not do it again in the future. So uh, both strategies, environment design, and adding an immediate reward to your good habits or an immediate consequence to your bad ones can be effective, but they're just kind of, they're approaching uh, the habit from different stages of the, the behavioral loop. Yeah. Okay. And that's again, a good treatment of that. And so what has been a, a, a habit for you that was the hardest to form, like a good habit that was really the hardest to, to make part of your, your life? So I, I find myself wanting to give two answers here. So the, the first answer is just a straightforward one, which is um, there's still habits, plenty of habits that I struggle with. Um, one of which is like a, what I would call a power down routine. I don't really have trouble sleeping. Like I, I sleep just fine, eight or nine hours. That's kind of one of my cardinal rules is that especially if I'm training heavy, I like really make sure I get a full night's sleep. But I'll often find myself around 10 p.m. or something kind of getting a second wind where I'm like, well, I could do another hour of work or I could go to bed. And then if I sit down and like start doing something for an hour, all of a sudden I'll turn around, it'll be midnight or one. And it's like, well, if it's midnight and I haven't gone to bed yet, then I'm not going to get up till eight or nine. And um, I know that I do better work early in the morning if I did wake up early or go to bed at 10, but I'm not going to cheat myself on sleep. So that's kind of this eternal battle that I'm, uh, that I'm still messing with. One idea that, uh, that I came across, um, you may know near y'all, he wrote the book. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I thought this was a really smart strategy. So near got an outlet timer and it's just a little device. It's like 10 bucks. You can get it on Amazon. You plug it into your outlet, kind of like a surge protector, but you can set it to kill the power at a particular time. And he plugged his internet router in and then set it to kill the power at 10 PM. So internet goes off, can't watch Netflix, can't browse YouTube, can't check email time to go to bed. And I love little automated solutions like that, that kind of nudge you in the right direction. You know, no single piece of automation will transform your life. But man, if you have 50 or 100 of those little choices working for you, suddenly it becomes much easier to, to form the good habit. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a great example. Like, you know, so one thing that uh, that reminds me of is my, I typically wake up around 5.30 just sort of naturally. And my kids will wake up usually nowadays like it's 6 15 6 20 ish or so but my wife has an alarm set at 6 20 because that's like at that point we need to get everyone up so that we can uh, we can get them to school and stuff 
So I, I found myself this morning, I was like working on something uh, and it was like 6.16. And I was like, I wanted to do one other thing. I was like, I have four minutes. So, and I got it done and I got it done. You know, and it was like, I, cause I know it, it's not, not my computer's not going to shut off at 6.20, but I know that like life begins then for the day at 6.20. So it's no matter what, if I'm done or not, I got to do it. So it was great. It, it, that is a really helpful thing when I, I think you have a specific time like deadline. Uh, obviously it's nice to be able to force your hand in some ways, you know, like, right. you, um, yeah, it's, so I, I enjoy using technology for things like that or for things that what I would define as like a one-time action that makes the habit easier every time in the future. So like to continue the, the theme of sleep habits, like, you know, testing different mattresses and figuring out the one that leads to the best night's sleep for you or buying blackout curtains, or purchasing uh, earplugs, or um, you know, earmuffs, or something like that, um, if you're in a noisy environment. Or uh, buying the, it's, uh, there's one thing called the chili pad, and you can like put yeah. it on and it'll, you know, optimize the temperature so you don't get too hot or too cold during the night. And um, things like that, you purchase those things once and set them up, but then every night after that, sticking to a good sleep habit becomes easier. And I, I really like investments like that, or sometimes they're just little software scripts that you set up or whatever, but they, um, they make it easier to fall into the good habit. And again, no single one of them is going to transform things, but if you can do a couple dozen, then all of a sudden you find out it from the outside, it looks like you have more willpower, but on the inside, you know, what you really have is just a better system. So, and, and th this question may be a little harder to answer, but so how, how do you some do, I mean how do you recommend rather like for a way for people to determine which habits they should have in their lives because that's not always that obvious I mean if you say for example somebody somebody says that they want to save money the answer may be that they should have less subscriptions the answer may be that maybe they should cook at home more which has other benefits right like so how do people like I'm sure anybody would be like yeah I should floss every night that's a great habit but it's not necessarily like a, an inherent why behind that. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So, um, you know, I mentioned uh, for your previous question that I kind of had two answers there and we went through the first one. And the second one was like, what habits have you struggled to build or whatever? And uh, it's kind of related to this question of like, what, what habits should people build? What habits should people focus on? And the, the second answer I was going to give a moment ago is that um, if, I'm, if, if I'm really struggling to build a habit, if I, I really feel like it's not moving forward, I kind of feel like I probably chose the wrong habit. It shouldn't feel that hard uh, all the time. And there are, there are a couple ways of looking at this. Either one, the habit is too big, uh, which is very common because people have heard, you know, I mentioned the two minute rule uh, a little earlier, but people have heard things like this before, like, oh, baby steps or start small. But even when you know that you should start small, it's still really easy to start too big. Um, people will say things like, I want to build the habit of going for a run three days a week, but I know I should start small. So I'll only run for 15 minutes, but even that's like way bigger than what I'm talking about. Um, you know, the two minute rules, like you put on your shoes and you step out the door and if you happen to run at all, it's just a bonus. And that sounds kind of silly to people because they, they know like, you know, okay, this seems kind of like a mental trick, right? I'm not really trying to put my shoes on or actually want to like go for a run and get in shape. But the thing that people will often fail to realize, and this is a key insight about building better habits, is that a habit must be established before it can be improved. You have to master the art of showing up each day. If you don't become the type of person who puts their running shoes on and steps out the door three days a week, 
you don't have a chance to become the type of person who runs for 15 minutes or five miles or whatever it is. So you really need to figure out how to scale it down and make it easy as possible in the beginning so that you can master the art of showing up, put your reps in. And then once you're the person who's showing up each day, now you have options. Now you have choices. You have the ability to expand and improve from there. You raised the floor at that point. Yes, correct. Right. You've like changed the standard for yourself. There's now a new normal. The new normal is I put my shoes on and I step out the door. Now what happens after that? We still have some things to improve, but at least I know that I'm showing up each day. So, so that's the first thing for like addressing the, what if I'm struggling with a habit and, or what habit should I build? The answer is you should probably build the the simplest version that gets you to show up each time. Um, the second aspect of which habit should I focus on is choose the form of a habit that feels most enjoyable to you. You know, like if you take the habit of exercise, well, I enjoy lifting weights, but not everybody has to work out like a bodybuilder or do strength training. You know, you could go kayaking, go to hiking, you could do rock climbing, you could do yoga. I mean, there's like almost an infinite number of ways to exercise. So choose the form that is most enjoyable to you because if it's enjoyable, You'll have, again, we talked about this earlier, this positive emotional signal, this little bit of satisfaction that says, hey, I should come back and do it again next time. And it's going to be hard enough anyway. I mean, life will throw plenty of things at you. You might as well choose the form that's most enjoyable. And then I I say that too, because even if you think, for example, uh, that lifting weights would be more effective for your long-term goal than, say, going for a hike three days a week, well, First, you want to build the identity of someone who works out three times a week. So if hiking is more enjoyable in the beginning, even if it's a little bit different than what your long-term goal would be, if you find it enjoyable, then foster that identity, become the type of person who shows up, start to view yourself as the person who works out three days a week. And once that's your normal, then maybe think about that transition. Um, And then the third and final answer to this uh, is that you want to choose habits that are small and easy. You want to choose habits that are satisfying and enjoyable in the moment. And then finally, uh, I think I, I tend to say, focus on one habit at a time. Sometimes you'll see people say you can do two or three at once if they're really small. But, um, but I think generally you can focus on what is sometimes referred to as a keystone habit. So it's kind of like, if you're going to pick a place to start, start with the one that tends to ripple into other areas of your life. So for me, it's uh, weightlifting is like definitely my keystone habit. If I go to the gym, sure, I get the benefits of exercise, but I also tend to eat better that night because I don't want to waste it. I sleep better because I'm tired from the workout. I have this kind of period of this post-workout high where I, I have pretty good focus for an hour or two. I wake up with better energy because I slept well. And at no point was I trying to like build better focus habits or energy habits or nutrition habits or sleep habits. All that stuff just kind of came as a natural side effect of making sure I got to the gym. And there are all sorts of things that could be a keystone habit. You'll hear comedians or performers or athletes talk about visualization um, before a performance. That's a keystone habit. Or CEOs will often mention meditation. If they get their 15 minutes of meditation in, everything else goes easier. Or a lot of creatives will talk about going for a daily walk. Just focus on getting their 20-minute walk in. And if that happens, then everything else kind of falls in place. And usually, you, if you just sit down and think about it for like two or three minutes, like what goes well on a good day for me? What, what do I tend to do? That'll probably give you a short list for what those keystone habits are. And so I think if you put all three of those together, let me try to figure out what the keystone habit is. Let me scale it down to just the first two minutes and pick the form of that habit that would be most enjoyable to me. Then you've got a really solid recipe for building a good habit and making that process easier.
Yeah, and I love that because the one of the things that makes me think of is that is journaling, right? There are like a thousand journals out there now that you can buy for productivity, and they clearly work really well for certain people. But it's one of those things where I'm, it, when I see it, it's like, well, that works really well for people that it works really well for. But if you're not the kind of person who's going to be able to even write a sentence every day, then what's you're not going to do it. Mm. Yeah, that's a great example. We actually, so we're joining the, I'm joining the the hordes here who are uh, putting a journal out. We have a habit journal coming out uh, in January, but I noticed the, uh, the exact problem that you just mentioned. So we have a section, the first 12 pages are just what we call one line per day. And it's just literally, it's a journal, but you can only keep one sentence per day. Um, and it's the whole point is to make it easy. And then there, there's a whole lot of other things to associate with it, but like the bulk of it is just a plain dot grid journal. Um, because I noticed what you just mentioned, which is uh, so many of these productivity journals are so templated. They're so formatted. If you don't want to yes. do exactly what's on that template, then the journal becomes useless for you. So I wanted a journal that was more flexible and like allowed for a range of pieces. But, um, but the larger point here about selecting a habit that is uh, appropriate or uh, feels joyful and satisfying and enjoyable to you is, uh, is a great strategy for getting a behavior to stick. Yeah. So, and that's awesome. And I, that makes total sense for the way your journals laid out. So, so last question is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? Mm, yeah. Great question. Okay. So I don't know if I'll be able to come up with three, but I'll, I'll tell you a few that came to mind. So the, the first one is I have this little phrase now uh, where the phrase is simply um, start more books, quit, quit most of them, read the great ones twice start more books, quit most of them, read the great ones twice. And the idea there is that reading is a meta habit that improves all other habits. Whatever you're trying to become more effective at, whatever productivity uh, you're trying to improve, whatever area of your life that's associated with, reading the right book can make that easier. Uh, if you wanna launch a podcast, read a book about it. If you wanna build a business, you can read a book about it. If you want to um, figure out how to do interior design, you can read a book about it. Any problem that you have, um, reading is a meta habit that can help solve that or ease that. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one, I always get pushback from parents on this, but I still think it's true. Um, the best way to double your productivity is not to read articles on how to double your productivity. It's to get eight hours of sleep each night. And, um, I realize that's hard depending on what stage you're at. If you got like three kids under the age of five, then that's going to be a challenge but it doesn't mean that the strategy is ineffective <laughs> just because it's difficult for you to follow. doesn't mean it's not true. And um, so I think that the, the core idea there is um, is about making sure that you have the fundamentals dialed in. You know, if you're getting good sleep and eating well and taking care of your body and working out in some capacity, then you're priming yourself to uh, be able to show up as your best self each day. And that's going to lead to more productivity gains than, uh, than most of the hacks and strategies. And then the, the third and final one that I'll give is whenever possible, automate whatever you can. Um, putting this technology to work for you rather than having it hinder you or work against you or just like not working for you and having it be neutral but sitting in the background, man, it can be a huge boost. Uh, we talked a little bit about outlet timers, uh, but some of the other ones I use like Chrome extensions, like distraction for YouTube, which lets you watch YouTube videos, but blocks the videos in the sidebar. So you don't see suggested videos and kind of go into the spiral of clicking on different ones. Um, Facebook newsfeed eradicator, which, you know, allows you to log in and use Facebook, but it blocks the whole newsfeed. 
If you want to be even more extreme, something like freedom uh, or self-control, which is a, just a website or social media blocker that you know prevents you from getting to Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or whatever. Um, all of those things, they take willpower out of the equation. They remove the uh, need for you to, to choose. And uh, the more that you can do that, the more you set yourself up for success. So I think if you read more, uh, master the fundamentals like sleep and exercise, and uh, put automation to work for you. Those are three really powerful strategies for becoming more effective. And those are all awesome. And if people are gonna read more, they should read Atomic Habits, for sure. So, um, James, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find out more about you and, and some of your other writings beyond the book? Yeah, thanks, man. Um, so, uh, you can just go to jamesclear.com and uh, click on articles. You can, I have them organized by category. So, if you wanna check those out and see what's interesting to you, feel free to poke around social media links and stuff around that, that uh, on jamesclear.com as well. But if you're interested in the book, uh, then Atomic Habits is uh, the best place to go is atomichabits.com. And on that page, I also have a couple additional downloads. Like there's a guide on how to apply the ideas to parenting, a guide on how to apply the ideas to business. It's a habit tracker template for tracking your habits and a couple other things. But anyway, all of that is at atomichabits.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And uh... I'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Ari. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way, they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.